joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. Gentlemen, how are you on this last week in November? We are going into December, or as I like to call it, suck season, because the cold sucks and Christmas is annoying. But how are you doing? Doing good. 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 Now, Adam and I were saying, Kevin, before you jumped on, that um, you know we are truly coming down the stretch here now. Uh, this is kind of, for us, it's going to be uh, quite a busy week, um, but we're looking forward to it. We're excited, obviously. Of course, the Super Bowls kick off at Gillette on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and our beloved Patriots return home after about a month of not playing at Gillette to host the L.A. Chargers on Sunday. So it is indeed going to be a busy week. Do want to remind you that if you are looking to sell your current home, or buy your first home. Give our good friend Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb and his team at situate.mortgageright.com. With over 25 years of experience, Herb Devine is the right person to work with you when it comes to an experienced loan officer and someone who understands lending practices and the mortgage industry. Again, give him a call at 781-254-2846 or shoot him an email at situate.mortgageright.com. We also want to congratulate Coach Devine. He and his Situate Sailors, he is the head football coach at Situate High School, will be playing Duxbury this week for the Division Four state title. Should be a great game between the two Patriot rivals. Of course, they played against each other for the Super Bowl two years ago with Situate coming away with a last-second win. So should be a hell of a game. Good luck, Coach Devine and the boys against a very, very good Duxbury team led by Coach Landolfi. All right, gents, let's um, – Let's jump into our favorite part of the show every week, and that is Patriots talk. You ready? Are you excited? Stone, you look like you got kicked in the nuts. You don't look so excited. Uh, <laughs> I don't really, honestly, though, you know, and I, John Lyons and I were talking about this yesterday. I mean, what more can you say about this team right now? It is just a disaster. Mac Jones is broken beyond repair. Bailey Zappi, not very good. They don't have a quarterback. Even when they're doing some good things on offense, like I thought they ran the ball pretty good yesterday. Yeah, they scored that one rushing touchdown by Stevenson, but they couldn't really use that ground game as the impetus of, of moving the ball and being more consistent on offense. And look, the side of the ball I feel bad for is the defense here. I mean, they have been lights out. Last three weeks, they've given up 40 combined points in three games. They gave up 220 yards of total offense yesterday, 10 points, and the Patriots lost. This defense has been fantastic all year. It's a damn shame that the offense can't get out of their own way because these guys are being wasted, and these performances are being wasted. Patriots dropped to 2-9, and nine, currently are um, sitting with the number two pick in next April's draft, although it's going to be either two or three with the Cardinals. Looks like it's going to be a neck-and-neck -neck thing with them down the stretch, but... Uh, just some thoughts on yet another debacle in this season of debacles for the Patriots. Defense only gave up 10 first downs as well um, and still lost the game. So, look, we've said it for weeks now. It's more of the same. Um, I'm not sure we all thought it could get uglier, although I think we all said it probably will. Um, and it's only going to get worse. You still have Denver in Denver on Christmas Eve. You still have Kansas City here on a Monday night. Um, this Chargers game, how many points are they going to put up? Um, I know the defense has played well, but um, you can't match that offense. 
So, not many. The Chargers have been a huge disappointment, which they are every year, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. This is yeah, actually but- a game they could win on Sunday, believe it or not, if they actually have a decent game plan and get some some decent quarterback play. Oh, that's my point. I don't know how um, – even if you give up 17 to this Chargers team, I'm not sure you can match yeah. that right now. Yeah, so no. um, it's going to get worse. Um, and I go, I know we keep saying they're not going to fire Belichick in season, and they're probably not still. Um, but at some point, aesthetically, it's just how much more ugly – how much more ugly can it get before fans are just, you know, banging down the door for, for a change? And again, we've talked about it. But, but I'm not to cut you off. But what does it matter at this point? What? Why? Oh, it doesn't. Why do you? What is a change in season going to accomplish? I'm not sure it does. But I, I personally, with all due respect to the fans, I wouldn't care. I could care less if I'm Robert Kraft at this point. You've lost a lot of them anyway. So what does it matter? Just oh. ride it out. Firing him now is not going to do anything. You're probably right, but the thing we have talked about, and I think you'll start to see it this weekend, there's going to be a lot of empty seats. Um, I, I can't. I, imagine. I don't think there'll be as many as you think because of the resale market. I think a lot of people are going to that haven't had a chance through the years to go are now going to have a chance to go. Fair, maybe this weekend because it's it's still supposed to be nice. But that Monday night game or that Jets game, um, there's going to be some times where you're on national television. And there's some empty seats there. So just in general, it's everything is ugly right now um, from top to bottom. And um, I I don't see it getting any better. And, um, again, I keep saying this every single week. I can't believe it's gotten this bad um, this quickly. But, again, it's it's what we all expected. Once we saw that that Saints game, I think it's when we kind of really thought, you know, hey, this this might start to spiral. And – it is. So uh, look out below because I don't think it's getting any better. Yeah, it's funny. I watch this team, and I think they can't really be this bad, can they? I mean, I know they can, but there's really there's very few flashes where you say, all right, this could be at the start of a turnaround or anything like that. They just And also, like, I really can't believe Mac Jones is – is really this bad because when he was a rookie, he was, he was fine. You know, he was good, but it's just like, it has gotten so bad there right now. Well, and- that's why I don't, I don't buy that. The team is bad. The the defense is playing lights out. It's just, this offense is bad. They, they, they don't have a quarterback. The scheme is bad. They don't have any receivers that can get separation. We talk about it every week, but I, I think that really, when you look at it, the thousand foot view is the defense has been excellent. The offense is just historically bad. Right now, in their last four games, are averaging just under twelve points a game. I mean, that's it's mind blowing. I mean, you and it seems like it gets worse every time they play, because you would think at this time of year, they're building up on the stuff that they they do well, and they're going straight to that. But they, I don't know what they do well at all. I don't think they do anything well. No. And, and it's just no. like, what do you do at this point? You're too far into the season to just try something else. You can't try something else. You're going with what got you here. And I, to me, it's just a personnel issue. They just aren't talented on offense. But even as bad as they are talent-wise, they got to be better than this. I mean, are these guys so bad? 
that they can't produce better than this. It just, it, I don't get Well, it. I mean, I think at some point you have to start to ask, look, Bill O'Brien, to his credit, has been very good with the media week in and week out. But at what point does this ultimately fall on him? Because he is the experienced coordinator that you were lacking that you needed after last season. You bring him in, familiar face. He was the offensive coordinator of one of the most prolific Patriot offenses in team history. And they have been a total train wreck, dumpster fire, whatever other word or adjective you want to use on offense this season. They, they're way worse than they were last year. Way worse. People thought it was bad last year. I think it's 10 times worse this year. And it's under the direction of an experienced play caller and play designer. So ultimately, when you look at this, is it strictly talent? I think now, guys, we have to start to question the scheme here. What are you doing? Why aren't you getting more out of these guys? Why are your quarterbacks so bad? And they're not just bad. When you look at their numbers, they're historically bad. So why is this such a systemic failure offensively? Because it's bad across the board. The offensive line actually played decent yesterday. Did give up two sacks, but I thought they did a nice job in the run game. But you've got guys in this offense that have produced elsewhere in the past. I know we bust Kevin's chops for the Gasicki 12 touchdown bet, but he doesn't put that out there if Kosicki hadn't produced at, at Penn State and Miami before. Obviously, he's produced enough that Kevin felt, all right, with Bill O'Brien, you fix Mac Jones. In this system, he could put up big numbers. There are guys that are playing for this team, Hunter Henry, Mike Kosicki, Juju Smith-Schuster, that have produced in the past. Why are they not producing in the system? So at some point, we have to question Bill O'Brien here. He's gotten a free pass, and I'm an O'Brien fan, but I think he's gotten a free pass. And I think at some point you have to ask yourself, okay, you know what? Bill Belichick aside, you want to criticize Belichick? They're not good in situations. They're they're undisciplined, all that other stuff. Fine, fair, question that all you want. But to me, we have to start to ask this guy hard questions. Why isn't this system working? Because Probably 70% of this system is what they've run under Belichick the last 23 years. The other 30% is stuff that he's brought into it. So why is this so bad? Because, you know, Adam, to your point, Mac Jones was a rookie of the year candidate two years ago. He went to the Pro Bowl. How does he go from that to, to this? He is god-awful. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, is it just the players or is the system not working? And I think Jones, in recent press conferences, has alluded to that, saying, you know, I don't know what we're doing or what we're trying to do. I'm just doing, trying to do the best to make it work. It's his way of saying, hey, man, it's not all me. This system's not working. And I, I, think, I think we have to question it now. I think that O'Brien has skated by on reputation and, and people making excuses that there's a lack of talent here. But – Ultimately, he's the offensive coordinator. Some of this has to fall on him. Sorry. No, I agree. Um, the other thing, too, is, you know, at some point, and, John, you could probably speak to this better, how unfair is it to those guys to not know who's going to start? And, and maybe, and I should I should say, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, I think it was, 
and maybe Zeke as well, said, no, look, we knew. But, but at some point, if they didn't, guys have to know, right? Like, just to make it easier for, you know, preparation-wise that week, at least it feels that way. It just feels well, like it, it, we're making the situation right. worse. Right. No, I they, they do need to know. But the bottom line is they don't have a quarterback. It doesn't really matter who starts. I, and, and I get it. You have to do this to keep the opponent on their toes and 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 force them to prepare for both quarterbacks. But at the end of the day, what are defensive coordinators actually preparing for here? Two guys that aren't very good. I mean, neither guy should be in New England next year. Never mind, might not be. Neither guy should be here. They're not good enough. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who starts. My guess is it'll probably be Zappy this week. I think if you're if you're Belichick, you have to you have to let the coconuts drop here and make the move and start him and see if you start if if he gets a majority of the reps and you start him, it maybe it provides a spark. But at the end of the day, yeah, guys do need to know because they need to get on the same page with that quarterback. They need to get into rhythm with them. And if they don't know who's starting, that makes it hard. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not the biggest zappy um, zappy apologist, but I do think it can't hurt to make him the starter and see what he he has. He did, he did lead that touchdown drive. I know he didn't do a ton of great stuff, whatever. But I think – I think you just sort of have to go to Zappy at this point. I don't know what I feel like. I feel like it's ninety percent mental with Mac. Like I don't think it's his physical abilities that are holding him back. I think mentally, it's not that he's checked out, but I think he's just doubting himself a hundred percent. And I don't know what 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 sort of solves it for him. So that's why I put in Zappy in here. I think he's got a better mental state at the point. Well, I think the other thing is this. When you look at Mac's performance in the first half yesterday, 12 of 21, 89 yards, he throws the two picks. That first pick was gross, disgusting, all on him. That second pick is also on him, but that second pick in many ways, in my opinion, illustrates the failures of this system. You slide the protection away. You allow the backside edge rusher to come free, so you cut him loose. You're right. Now you have Demario Douglas in the backfield who doesn't even look at him, doesn't get a piece of him, doesn't do anything. Not only does he not do that, but then he run, he runs the route called rather than sight adjusting that and saying, oh, shit, here comes an edge guy. I better sit this thing down and, and, and turn this into a hot. He doesn't do that. And so Jones just throws it out there. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. Maybe in his mind he's thinking, He's not going to break this thing in. He's going to settle it or break it out, and I'll just throw it out there, and it gets picked. So, it, it, look, it, it's beyond Mac Jones. Mac Jones has been bad. Bailey Zappi has been bad. But at the end of the day, this system has been bad. They're worse than they were last year on offense. For all the people out there who made fun of Patricia and Judge and the arrangement last year, well, guess what? It's even worse this year. Where are you now? Where are you now? Are you going to question? This hire of the offensive coordinator, you're going to question what they're doing schematically? I don't have too many people questioning it, and that really says a lot about people around here, fans and media alike, because at the end of the day, everybody and their mother was quick to to throw Patricia under the bus last year and point out how bad it was and how disorganized they were and all this other stuff. Well, guess what? They're organized this year, 
but they can't score points and they can't move the ball. So what the hell good is your organization anyway? So, all right, you mentioned this uh, earlier, Kevin. The Chargers, of course, come to town this weekend, coming off a loss last night to the Baltimore Ravens. Look, uh, Staley is – he's also in, in coaching off the string mode. He's not going to be the guy there next year for them. As usual, the Chargers underachieving. Every year, they're, they're, they're the sexy pick in the AFC. Everybody thinks they're going to take that next step and become a Super Bowl contender. It's not going to happen this year. They're currently 4-7. and seven. They're really talented on paper. They should come in here and roll. But given how inconsistent they are, the Patriots have a shot in this game. Yeah, I think um, it's funny. We, um, you know, we used to constantly joke about teams like the Chargers who had all this talent but can't do anything with it. Well, look at where the Patriots are right now. So, yeah. um, but they don't have, I mean, they don't even, I mean, I wonder what uh, Belichick could do with a team that has Justin Herbert at quarterback and all their stars. You might um, find out. <laughs> I, I know. I know, right? Um, so, you know, I, I'm not convinced that they'll get blown out. I don't see the Chargers coming in here and blowing the Patriots out. No, neither out. do I. Um, so, I, you know, I think could it be a win? Probably. Are they even going for wins at this point? I don't know. I mean, I'm against tanking, but if it doesn't really matter if you're trying or not because, you know, you're probably not going to get the win anyway. But, um, yeah, it's interesting. And I think, you know, I feel like the Patriots, they just got to forget what everybody's saying and sort of forget their, their troubles for a minute. And just try to go out there, play football, and have fun. Because you can tell just by the way these players are talking, they are not having fun playing football right now. And they they got to really sort of you know, forget what they've been going through and try to move on. Again, that's why I think they should start Zappy this week. He's He just gives them a different voice in that huddle. Uh, the only good part about this weekend's game for me will be the uniforms. Uh, it's a throwback week for the Patriots, so they'll be in the rest. Uh, we don't get the chops, uh, which would have been nice. But, uh, no, there's no – I have no reason to believe this team could win any game right now. Uh, I think it's going to be, you know, relatively low scoring, 17-13-ish, 17-14. Um, again, this defense is playing well enough to slow down. That hasn't been nearly as it probably should be. but they're no reason to believe this Patriots team can score enough points even then to keep up with, with the charges, in my opinion. So I'm expecting another slog and um, again, somewhere in the, the 17, 14 ish range. Yeah. I think it'll be a little bit higher scoring than that. I think it'll be more of a 24, 14 type of game. Um, I agree with you, Adam, that I think Zappy gives him a different voice in the huddle gives them something different in general on offense, and you hope that that provides a little bit of a spark. Uh, they don't need to tank. They're they're bad enough on their own. They're losing games just fine. They're not going to tank because they don't need to tank. They're not very good. Uh, as far as having fun pieces concerned, they're 2-9, and man, and they're pros, and they're getting paid seven figures. It's hard to have fun when you're 2-9. And, and look, I, I've been in football a long time. I don't care what level it is. I've, I've, I've been a head coach of a 1-10 team. It hurts. Every week hurts. It's a kick in the nuts every single week. It happens. I've also been on the other side of it where I've coached on teams that have gone undefeated and won 25 in a row. 
that's the opposite feeling, a feeling we all want to experience. So I think at the end of the day, it is what it is. Six weeks left. You're playing out the string. And at this point, they're not good enough. They're probably going to end up with a top five pick. It's okay because they need a reset. They need a retool. And this is the beginning of that process. I say this all the time. And our good friend Tyler Amaral tweeted out yesterday about how bad they are. And I quote tweeted him and basically said, listen, dude, you haven't seen bad Patriots football unless you've lived through 89 and 92. And some people disagreed with me. And, and yes, you can make the argument that this team is just as bad as those teams. And I, and I think it would be a valid argument. But from 89 to 92, they were the worst team in the league. 1990, they go 1-15. and 15. Rod Russ's only year as head coach here. He was a longtime defensive coordinator here. Um, they bring in Dick McPherson, great guy, had a lot of success at Syracuse, didn't translate to the NFL. They were a really bad organization. Multiple ownership changes. You went from Sullivan to Kayam to Orthwine Bush to Kraft. I mean, it, it, the Patriots were a mess in that era. They're not a mess now. They have stable ownership. They, they, there's a winning culture here despite this season. But this season would fit into that 89 to 92 window. That's for sure. They're bad enough to be in the conversation with those teams amongst the worst Patriot teams of all time. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show, sponsored by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Stone and Kirchin. Just a reminder, if you are in the market to sell your current home or buy your first home, give our good friend Herb Devine a call, 781-254-2846, or shoot Herb an email at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to help you out. All right, gents, let's pivot here and talk some college football. College football season is officially over now. We closed the books on it. Boston College is bowl eligible. We're waiting to see. We'll find out on Sunday. But we're waiting to see where they end up playing their bowl game. But they're the only team left in action. Everyone else is done for the season. Um, I want to get into that UConn-UMass game. A lot to talk about there. But let's start with the game that you and I were at, Kevin, on Friday. Boston College losing to Miami 45-20 to drop to 6-6. Six and six. On the season, this was the Eagles' second home blowout loss in three weeks. They finished the season with three straight losses. We said a couple of weeks ago that the path talk can end. We can put all of that to bed. Um, it was an embarrassing performance, plain and simple. It started off good. They 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 take the ball to start the game. They go down and score, go up seven to nothing. And that was the highlight of the day. Miami took the game over. The cream rose. They were the better team, the more talented team. And they won. Kevin, I want to start with you. Just some thoughts on the game. And wh where do they go from here? And where do you see them potentially ending up from a bowl standpoint? Uh, it was bad enough on Friday where I genuinely thought we might get Halfley news this weekend. Um, I think he's staying now. I think we would have heard about it um, this yeah, week. They would have made that move on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that's kind of out of the question now. But again, it was bad enough where there was some chatter, and uh, I would not have been shocked if it happened this weekend, but it didn't. So uh, you're now looking at a team that finished 6-6 six and six and is very mediocre once again. Um, and I looked at you a few times on Friday and simply put, uh, that win streak, uh, for me personally at least, I'll speak for myself only, but I think a lot of people did it. We just overrated this team um, and what they were and kind of what they were capable of because of that win streak. And if you look back at that win streak, 
they beat some bad teams, and they barely beat them at that. So, uh, look, there's no passing game with this team pretty much whatsoever. Um, I can't count the amount of times, again, where I looked at you, and we can see, you know, routes developing from high above, and no one's open. Um, receivers just aren't getting open. The lack of talent there was glaring. The lack of talent at tight end, particularly these last few weeks, once people started to figure out the Castellanos running game, that was the most glaring thing to me. They haven't had a tight end since Hunter Long, um, and they still don't. The offensive line, they were good here consistently. I mean, give them credit there, but just a real lack of talent across the board and, <clears throat> excuse me, a lack of a lack of ACC talent, I think is a better way to put it. Um, again, yes, they won six games, but, man, they're just not – they're not deep. They're not that that good. And I think we're looking at a Fenway Bowl. Um, I know we were talking to a few people who thought there's a, a few different options, but that seems like the biggest one. And it's probably fitting. You know, a bowl game is supposed to be a reward. Going to Fenway isn't really a reward. And this team probably doesn't deserve one. So uh, mediocre at best. And I think they have a lot of work to do in the transfer portal this year. And uh, we'll see what happens when, you know, they take on the new look ACC, but just disappointing overall. And again, I think we really kind of, a lot of us overrated what they were. Yeah, I feel like, um, I feel like uh, I've said this before, but it, it felt like three different seasons, the beginning of the year when they lost, lost a few games, the middle where they played really well and the end where they play poorly again. It's just hard to figure this team out. Like, they just uh, – on the one hand, they weren't that great. On the other hand, if they played the whole season like they played that middle stretch, 9-3 really wouldn't have been out of the question. Like, if they had a chance to really – I kind of look at the season as a missed opportunity because they lost a lot of games where they could have won. Um, from a talent standpoint, from an experience standpoint. It's just, you know, if, I feel like I, I don't want to see Halfley go. You know, he's probably staying no matter what now. I, st- I still believe he's a pretty good coach. But I just feel like they, they, left, they left some games on the table this year. And at the beginning of the year, Kev, when you said they could go 9-3, and three, I was like, oh, come on. And then I looked at the schedule. And I thought, well, maybe, because <laughs> the schedule wasn't that hard. And I do feel like B- it's a BC thing. It's more than a Halfley thing. It's more than a Adazio thing. It's more than anybody. Is They just can't get over that hump of those six or seven wins a year. And you just want to see them go to a bowl game, win it, and then try to build off that. I don't know how talented they are compared to the teams they play. I mean, they – they seem to be at a level with a lot of these mid-level ACC teams. But, you know, I think Castellanos has got to make sure he stays um, instead of going somewhere else. I don't know if he is looking. Uh, but I just think that BC just has to take better advantage of their opportunities because they really didn't do a good job of that this year. John, just yeah, before you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm not sure if you felt the same way. The other day, Castellano's postgame, 
you know, he said it for the third straight week. You know, when we, when we made a bowl game, he got complacency. And I think complacency is probably the biggest issue in the entire program. There's no real pressure from people above them to get over that 6-7 win threshold, it feels like. And I could be very wrong about that. You know, there could be people breathing down Halfley's neck. Oh, I know. But just overall, just the tone of that team, really week in and week out, there's no true pressure on them to win and win at a high level, I think. I think that's the problem. I, I mean, I think the expectations are there. I, I would agree with you that there's no pressure because there isn't a lot of fan pressure, right? This isn't this isn't a it, it's a major college program, but but it's not in a college sports town. And so because of that, it's not the only show in town. And as a result, the level of the, the expectations might be high, but the level of pressure, pressure, I should say, is not what it is with other programs around the country. That's the reality of it. This program is not under the microscope like a lot of these other programs are. Um, I definitely agree with you that I think that there is a lack of ACC caliber talent on this roster, even though I think Gaffley has recruited well. And I think they've done a good job in the portal. I don't think that they match up at certain positions. It's very weird to see how guys have fallen off. Joe Griffin didn't play the other day. He was dressed. He was healthy. What's going on there? Why is he not involved in your passing game, especially when your receivers, and, and this should be a familiar theme with the professional team in town, but when your receivers have a hard time getting open and separating, a guy like that with size, Good ball skills can win one-on-one, especially in the red zone. Why isn't a guy like that playing more? So there's that piece. There could be stuff going on that that is leading to him not playing as much as he should. So for me, look, I, this is what they are. I never bought into they could be nine and three. I thought that that was, I thought that was ridiculous. Um, I think this is who they are. They're six and six, seven and five program. We talk about it every summer. And I'll continue to say it until they prove me otherwise. This is this is where they are in the ACC pecking order. They're a bottom third program that wins just enough to become bowl eligible, but is not really a threat to compete for an ACC title and play in a New Year's Six Bowl. They're just they're never going to be there. Um, and as far as Halfley's job security, I think Jeff is a good coach. I think he's assembled a good staff. Do I agree with everything he does? No, but I think at the end of the day. You could you could move on from him, but is is this job appealing enough that you're going to attract a major candidate? Because as much as people want to sit around here and talk about, you know, Bob Chesney and any other local name they might want to throw in that hat, the BC people are going to want someone with name cachet and recognition. They're going to want someone they can sell. Bob Chesney is an easy sell because he's won everywhere he's been, but they may want someone with a higher national profile. So. To me, I think Halfley's back. Obviously, if they were going to make a move, I think they would have made it by now. Uh, I think he's back. I think next year he's on the hot seat. I think they got to be better than six and six in order for him to keep the job. But yeah, there's no doubt in my mind when you look at the Virginia Tech game, this game on Friday, they were outclassed in both games. They did not belong on the field with those two teams, particularly Miami. I mean, they Miami could do whatever the hell they wanted offensively, and that's a team that coming into that game had lost three in a row and had benched Tyler Van Dyke, their starting quarterback. So that just goes to show you that just goes to show you that they just don't have the people to to, to keep up with a team like that.
No, Sarge, I was just going to say, Van Dyke actually just went into the portal. So, yeah. um, he lost to a kid who left Miami now. Yeah, and which is not a surprise. He was benched, and it's not a surprise that he's in the portal. And he should garner a lot of attention. Look at all the Ivy League kids and the attention that they're garnering in the portal right now. And I do want to get to that in a sec. UConn picks up a big win on Saturday. And look, I think a lot of people thought that UMass was going to win that game. But UConn pulled a league horse on us and said, not so fast. They pick up a huge win over UMass. They win two in a row to close the season. I mean, to me, I think if you're Jim Moore, I know that it's not it's not something that, you know, is is a program builder necessarily beating UMass. But they get the win 31-18, and they win two in a row to close the season. Big win for UConn. I think this is a really disappointing loss for UMass, who had built some momentum here down the stretch. Yeah, I think disappointing is the word for UMass because this is not a team. I don't think UMass is, or I don't think UConn is head and shoulders above where UMass is talent wise. And especially UMass went a couple games towards the end of the season. You know, They've been able to beat UConn a couple times now the last few years. For UConn, I think it's a good way. Look, I mean, the way that season went, that those kids could have quit easily. Yeah. <laughs> and they're still playing winning football. Now, winning football over UMass, okay, I get it. But, like, you know, th- that's a nice win for UConn. You end your season on a positive note, and you just sort of move on and try to f- forget about this season. <laughs> If nothing else, you know, it's huge for recruiting. You know, that's that you that kind of it spurs coaches on as well, you know, as they kind of hit the road and and go on to, to bust their ass for the next few months. It, it kind of just helps them momentum wise as well. But you guys are right. I said it last week. I thought that game was way more important for UMass than it was UConn. Um getting to four wins for UMass would have been massive. Um and that's not to say that a three-win season is a total, you know, disappointment given the injuries that they had. And Don Brown talked about it after the game. He adamantly said, you know, he saw all the right things in terms of them doing the right things moving forward. But, um, yeah, that's big for UConn. And uh, to Adam's point, the fact that those kids didn't quit after they had teammates quit on them um, and didn't leave the team during the year, that is impressive. Um, And, John, I know we wanted to get to this. Jim Moore had some comments last week, um, you know, some pretty passionate comments about NIL and the support that UConn was getting. Um, I was frankly surprised he went down the road that he went down and he addressed it after the game, you know, kind of apologizing. And really his message was when he gets fired up, his delivery isn't always the best. Um, And he really just was trying to say that, you know, that money isn't an issue and it is all over the country in terms of getting kids to want to go play certain places. And if UConn is going to be competitive and, you know, trying to reach that Fiesta Bowl status or whatever, you know, that they were at a decade ago, they need the help. And his messaging wasn't great, uh, but it was heard loud and clear. And I do think everyone in stores is on the same page. And I do think UConn is, you know, probably going to be in a conference sooner rather than later. But uh, it was an interesting week out there to say the least. Yeah, and and 
But I will say this. I think those comments got a lot of people's attention, namely boosters. Yep. And, and there's been there's kind of been a rally of sorts to start to generate more NIL funding so that the NIL money can be there for the football program to go out and, and be able to compete for some of these kids in the portal. Uh, Mark D'Amelio, who is one of the biggest donors for UConn Athletics, he actually took charge of this and and after Mora's comments, and he was already involved in the NIL side of things at UConn, but um, he organized an NIL fundraiser, and they've been able to raise some really good money this weekend. Kudos to Mark and his efforts. Um, look, I think at the end of the day, if you're Jim Mora and UConn, it's a supremely disappointing season. It's nice to win these last two in a row against two schools that, quite frankly, the beginning of the year, we thought that they should beat and 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 could beat, and they did. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't take away the stench of this season. And and it was rotten and it smells rotten. They should have been a lot better than they were. Mora knows that, the staff knows that. I think you're gonna see them be very active in the portal. They have been anyway since Mora got here, but I think they're gonna be really active this winter and spring as they try to fortify the roster. Um, it's it's a funny season for them. It was a disappointing season, but they were a lot of games. They could have beat NC State. Uh, they could have beat Boston College. They could have beat South Florida. They were a lot of games. I mean, if they win four of those games, those close games that they lost, obviously they're bowl eligible. They didn't. But um, I think for me, I think this is a big win for UConn strictly because you get regional bragging rights, but it's also going to help you in recruiting in New England. It's something that you can you can use to your advantage if you're recruiting a similar kid to UMass. For UMass, there's no other way around it. They know showed it's a disappointing loss. Uh, they 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 were on an upward trajectory to finish the season. They had picked up wins over Army and Merrimack, and then they turn around. They they get blown out by Liberty. They come back home, and in a game that I think a lot of people thought that they were going to win. They no-show, and they lose, as I mentioned, 31-18, and it's a disappointing finish. Look, did they make meaningful progress? Yes. But I think, in my opinion, 3-9 and nine versus 4-8, and eight, in many ways, gentlemen, is a big difference, especially in terms of how you feel about the season you had. Yeah, I, you know, when it comes to Morris' comments, you know, the NIL stuff can be a, a stopper. Like it stops the conversation. If you if you're not able to offer a recruit certain money out of NIL, you're not even gonna get in the doorway. You're not you it's you're not you're not part of that conversation. And that must be frustrating. And it's hard enough to get in the door, right? Yeah. Because you're not you're not in a conference and you're not a higher high enough profile program in, in some cases for these kids. Even even if you're talking about an in-state kid, if you're talking about a kid that goes to Cho Rosemary Hall or Avon Old Farms or one of those programs and you get in early on the kid and you you offer him early and, and you tell him how much you would like for him to be at your program, well, if you don't have the NIL, you can't compete with the other schools that are recruiting that kid. And so it's just it's a it's a resource question. Um, it, it's it's getting off you know to that great start with recruits, and you sort of hate that college football could be about that sometimes. That it's it's a resource game more than anything else. It's, it's dollar bills, but that really is how it is, and that's sort of how I took his comment. 
yeah, just Adam, to your point, he specifically said if we want to compete at the level people expect us to, we need at least 1.5 mil. Like he threw the number out there knowing it immediately. So um, they know what it takes. And hell, even look at Deion Sanders today. You got him begging for NIL money from donors as well. Like even the coaches at the, the highest level know how, how important money is now. It's just the day we live in and it's only going to get worse, I think, too. Yeah. But nonetheless, they pick up a big win, a much-needed win. And as I mentioned earlier, they finished the season with back-to-back wins against Sacred Heart and UMass. You'll take it. It's positive momentum going into winter workouts, recruiting, and eventually the spring and spring ball. All right, gents, let's talk some high school football here as part of the last segment. Uh, Obviously, this past weekend was Thanksgiving on Thursday. Adam, you went to a hell of a game. You covered Zavarian. Uh, St. John's Prep, which we're going to get to that in a sec. Kevin, you were at Needham Wellesley, which is always one of the three best games of of the day on Thanksgiving every year. I was at Foxborough Mansfield. We also had stories on Quincy North Quincy and Jim Kelleher's last game in Abington. But, Adam, you you saw an instant classic at Zavarian. If that game was any indication, Wednesday night's game between these two for the Division I state title could be special. Yeah, it can't get better than a 30-yard field goal at the buzzer with time running out for Severian to win 23-21. If the, if the rematch is any – that's what I said in my, one of my stories too. It was like if the rematch is any as, as, as nearly as good as this one was, it's going to be another classic. So um, I've been to a lot of prep thanks, uh, prep uh, Zavarian Thanksgiving Day games <laughs> over the years. I remember one year, I think it was 03. Um, St. John's Prep held a three-point lead, and uh, – shoot, I forget the kid's name. Andrew Long blocked the field goal and uh, and preserved the, the win for St. John's Prep. And there's been a lot of games like that that have hinged on special teams plays. But the one of the parts I like the most about that game is that even though the teams are going to play five, six days later, this Wednesday – the crowd was into it, man. The crowd oh, was yeah. so – oh, it was a great crowd. And, you know, I know some people say Thanksgiving isn't the same. Sure, okay, I get it. But you can't tell those people who were there that that game was meaningless, that that game wasn't a big deal, that that game didn't mean something to them. Um, it was so much fun. It was so much fun to watch that game, and I can't wait for the rematch. Um, it's just going to be so much fun. And really, like these two programs going all out on Thanksgiving when they have to play each other less than a week later. I mean, that's high school football right there. Adam, I'll echo after everything you just said in terms of crowd. Um, I was at Nita Wellesley, oldest public public school rivalry in the country. Uh, not a seat to be had. Probably 2,000, 3,000 people there. Um, fans packing the stadium, you know, wrapping around the fence. And then you have Needham who hadn't beaten Wellesley since 2018. Uh, 2018, excuse me. Uh, 21-7, Tate Hoffmeister, who I know you guys um, are big fans of, as am I. Uh, 235 yards, three touchdowns in the win. Um, he reminds me of Mike Allstar a little bit, just build-wise. Um, and he runs just as hard as that guy did. But, Adam, you're still right, man. These these games still matter. The day still absolutely matters. Uh, the buzz in Wellesley was... Uh, it might be, I've covered that game for either five or six years. 
in a row now. It might have been the best buzz I've ever felt around um, just the school in general and, you know, listening to people walk in and, and the chatter and stuff. And obviously the weather helped too. It was a nice morning that morning. But um, you can't tell us that Thanksgiving doesn't matter. But just, just go out and look at the crowds. Look at how, you know, some of the reactions of kids who won rivalry games for either the first time in their career or the last time in their career, how much it matters. Um, just a phenomenal day still. Again, it still matters. Um, people still plan their days. I know I do around those games. And uh, I think all around the entire state, you saw how much it mattered just with how some some of the games played out. So um, another fantastic Thanksgiving overall. And figure out a way for it to mean as much again. But it's still one hell of a day. Yeah, I was at Foxborough Mansfield for the 92nd meeting in that rivalry. Really good rivalry. Uh, Mansfield controlled most of the game into the third quarter. Then Foxborough's big playability came through. Uh, Nolan Gordon with two long touchdowns. Uh, Brandon Mazinka so great. He had a 73-yard touchdown run, and Foxborough pulled away 30-17. to Warriors, of course, are playing Friday night for the D5 state title against Hanover at Gillette. Uh, but it was a really good game. It's a passionate rivalry, border towns, been playing for a long time, a lot at stake. Of course, the Davenport title was at stake. Uh, I thought it was terrific. I did mention earlier, of course, Thursday was also the final game in the legendary career of Jim Calhoun Abington. He goes out a winner. It's a green wave, pick up a big <clears throat> 41-6 win over rival Whitman Hansen. And look, Jim Kelleher's won over 300 games, five Super Bowls. I know a lot of people look at his longevity, and some people are critical of his longevity or, or you know, that they felt he should have won more. The bottom line is Coach Kelleher was a terrific coach, terrific person. He won plenty, and he left his mark on high school football in Massachusetts 50 years as the head football coach at Abington High School. That's insane. Yeah, I think um... – It's it's funny. There's nothing that he didn't experience because as a high, as a head coach at Abington, he, I mean, he had, he had some down years for sure, but then he had other years where they won state titles and Super Bowls and all that good stuff. And he's just a nice guy. If you've ever met uh, Jim, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. He's always welcoming. He was never a jerk to me when I was covering his games. Um, and I think he's just – he's a class act, and I'm glad he's going out a winner. Yeah, me too. Me too, absolutely. And, of course, the North Quincy beat Quincy in the annual uh, game between those two. Big win for the Raiders as they wrapped up their season at 5-6. and six. Quincy, what the loss, fell to 3-8, and eight, but still a great rivalry game between those two. Um, they've been playing for almost 100 years as well. So um, – that was good to see. And, of course, there were several other great rivalry games out there as well. Um, but those are the ones that we were at. And, of course, it all culminates in Massachusetts, at least, this week with the state title games at Gillette Stadium starting Wednesday night. We have two of them Wednesday, three Thursday, three Friday. Now, Kirkshin, you, myself, and Tyler Amaral will have it all broken down for our viewing audience tomorrow night as part of the high school preview show. But I did want to ask you guys just some general thoughts what are you looking forward to this weekend? Uh, no sleep till Gillette is what we used to say at ESPN Boston. 
It's true. We're going to be there a while. I know, Stone, you had mentioned possibly setting up a cot, um, and I wouldn't blame you. Uh, but just some thoughts on on this week's Super Bowl matchups. I, I'll Real quick, and then I'll, I'll give you guys the floor. This might be the eight best matchups we've had since the games started being played at Gillette. I really believe that. They're fantastic, all eight matchups. I agree. They're, I don't know which ones to pick. Like, I've been looking at these matchups for days thinking, okay, well, maybe this team's better, maybe that team's better. These are evenly matched teams. and they're, the, What I like, too, is the, the small school games are every bit as good as the big school games. Like, Zavarian St. John's Prep is a great game. But this Carver-West Boylston game? It's going to be a doozy. Wow. I mean, that's going to be incredible. And then Uxbridge against Amesbury. I mean, these these games are really good, and I can't wait to see all of them. Yeah, I know. I'm with you guys. Um, Division One obviously speaks for itself with Prep and Javarian going back at it. Division Three is going to be a dogfight uh, between Milton and Walpole, I think. Um, Division Two, obviously, no. You know, no CM will have a new champ there. I know John King Phillip and um well you were closest with Phillip and um uh, this if not that if not now then when for that, right? So um really across the board though. Uh, and real quick speaking of King Phillip, John, I can't believe you didn't mention this. Brian Lee winning uh, 150 games at Fenway. I was uh, there, Fenway. yeah, I know. Shame on me. Shame on me. He's probably gonna let me know that I dropped the ball. So good. Um no, but just in general. And it really should be a great week. I know we complained about the times and, you know, having three o'clock games. And it is what it is. It's it's Super Bowl week. It's, it's usually the best week of the year. And really, there isn't um, a bad matchup this year. And for me, I'm just interested in, we talked about this last week. There's been a ton of high scoring, you know, recently in this postseason. I'm curious to see if that continues at Gillette or if things kind of, you know, come down a little bit and, and the nerds kind of get to kids and, and stuff like that. But it should be a great week, and as you guys said, we'll be there for all of it. So looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, coming, g- Going back to Coach Lee for a second, I was there on Tuesday night, of course. Uh, King Phillip played Franklin in their annual Thanksgiving matchup. There were four games at Fenway Park. Uh, Tech Boston and Brighton kicked things off on Tuesday, then KP Franklin. And then on Wednesday night, of course, we had Chelmsford, Bill Ricca, and Lemonster Fitchburg. Um, four really good matchups, four really good rivalries. Um, but uh, thank you for mentioning that, Kevin. Brian Lee did pick up his 150th win. I was on the staff when he picked up his 100th win in 2018. Um, between him and his dad, John Lee, who was a legendary coach at Walpole, between the two of them, they've won 363 games. So it's pretty impressive. Uh, nonetheless, that's good for third all-time in state history. But um, – you know, for for me, it was it it was not to get corny, but having been a part of that program for a long time and been a big part of a lot of those wins, um, it's cool to see because I always go back to and I say this to people, and this is the power of building something. You know, when when Brian took that job in two thousand five, at the time I was the offensive line coach at Stonehill College, and he um, he reached out to me. And he said, "I need you to come with me. I need good coaches to help me get this thing going." And um, my initial thought process was F you. I'm not going to that place. It's, it's, it's not exactly a desirable high school place to coach, even though it was five minutes from my parents' house. Um, but you know, Brian and I were friends. We've been friends for a long time. I believed in his vision. He sold me on it and I left coaching 
Division II college football to go with him. And I remember they were remodeling the school at the time, and we had to build lockers. And our lockers that first year, the kids had laundry baskets for lockers. Um, so to see where this program is now to where it was when he first took over, it's it's the power of of patience and allowing people to build something. And they're going to their sixth Super Bowl in seven years, so it should be should be a, a good one. They're going to have their hands full with Marshfield. I've known Chris Aruka for a long time. Chris is one of the best offensive coaches in the state. Uh, good man. I have nothing but the utmost respect for him and that staff. Um, so it should be good. And like we said, all eight of these matchups, I think are going to be terrific. And you have a lot of repeat matchups here. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. And of course, um, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Rhode Island are done. New Hampshire wrapped up this weekend with the Bedford Bulldogs winning the D1 state title, back-to-back state titles for Bedford. What an impressive run for that program. They were dominant in a big win on Saturday against a very good Londonderry team. The defense, which has been their calling card all year for the Bulldogs, stepped up and held Londonderry to eight points. So congratulations to Bedford on winning the Division I state title in New Hampshire. And, of course, Connecticut kicks off their playoffs tomorrow night. You can go over to uh, the CIAC football website, and they've got all the class matchups for all six classes in Connecticut. Some intriguing matchups here. Staples is the number one seed in Class LL which is a bit of a surprise because Greenwich was rolling along, but then Staples knocked them off the last week of the regular season. But Staples and Greenwich will be among the favorites in Class LL. In Class L, you you have Maloney who will be among the favorites here, the three seed. The matchup that I'm looking forward to the most in Class L tomorrow night is New Canaan and Killingly. New Canaan, one of the best programs in Connecticut, but they're going to have to go up against Soren Reef in that running game for Killingly. Reef is arguably the best running back in New England, guys. I don't know if you've seen the numbers this kid has put up, but he has put up monster numbers. He's a great kid. Uh, He was one of our players of the week earlier this season. Uh, So Killingly could be a potential dark horse in Class L. Class MM has some good matchups as well. Fitch-North Haven, the 4-5 matchup tomorrow night, should be pretty good, as well as Massac and Cheshire. uh, Cheshire, Massac and Cheshire, I should say, in Class MM. In Class M, uh, St. Joe's and Daniel Hand should be a pretty good 1-8 matchup. St. Joe's is the 8th seed in that bracket. It's usually a program that's near the top. Class SS, and you got a couple good-looking matchups there as well. Uh, Wyndham and Sheehan, it's going to be a really good matchup in the 3-6 three mat- three, matchup. And, of course, finally in Class S, uh, Bloomfield MSW will be a good matchup, and Ansonia is the number one seed. All right, gents, final thoughts before we wrap this one up. Um, still going at it this week, and uh, we still have uh, Army Navy as well. That stuff picks up this week, so we'll have some coverage on Wednesday, but um, we're not done yet. Still have uh, two months of the Patriots, and uh, again, Army Navy's coming up. That should be a fantastic couple weeks here uh, with a lot of good stuff happening uh, really around the entire state. So um, stay with us for that, too. I think it's just a great way to end the season with these uh, MIA games at Gillette. Try to see as many as you can. There's going to be some great football games coming up. They're going to end this thing on a high note. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about the Connecticut playoffs starting, as I said. A lot of really good matchups tomorrow night. Of course, they play tomorrow night. They play Sunday, and it all wraps up on December 9th with the state title games in the Nutmeg State. So uh, we're going to have some coverage for you 
uh, on the Connecticut playoffs. We'll have our preview up tomorrow. And um, we plan on covering some of the state title games down there. So follow along, even though we know there's some great um, resources down in Connecticut, we we are also going to have some good coverage there. And, of course, as Kevin mentioned, we have Army-Navy coming up. And the Pats still have six games. So we have plenty of football to talk about. And, as always, we do want to remind you guys that we are all football all the time. We're a year-round football site. There is no winter sports season for us. There is no spring season for us. We are football year-round, and uh, we take pride in being, bringing you some of the best football coverage in New England. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff now on the transfer portal. Portal is really busy. A lot of local kids picking up Power 5 and Group of 5 offers that played for Division One programs here in New England. So um, follow along with our transfer portal tracker to see who has entered the portal. We're also going to have some more stuff this week on who is getting offers and where. And as always, we're also going to have all of our end-of-the-year all-star teams as well. As soon as high school wraps up here in Massachusetts, we'll have that out for you at some point in December. And we'll also have our college all-star teams out for you at some point in December as well. Tomorrow I'm also going to have my final top 16 of the season for Division I college football in New England. All right. That'll do it for this week's show. You're going to be seeing a lot of us the rest of this week. Kirkshin and I will be back with you tomorrow night along with Tyler Amaral for the high school preview show. And then we're going to have wall-to-wall coverage of all eight Super Bowl matchups from Gillette Stadium this week. We're excited about it. Um, we're going to have game stories. We've got some features coming. We're going to do a ton of video content. Adam and I will be breaking down each game um, after it happens. And if we don't get a chance to break down the 3 o'clock games, we'll break those down and then break down the 5.30 games. You're going to get sick of us by the end of the week. But, hey, it's what we do. We enjoy it. We love it. We want to share our passion with you. And as always, if you haven't subscribed, we would appreciate your business. Go over to anyfootballjournal.com. Go over to the membership tab and subscribe for $2.99 a month. We think we're one of the best deals in town. All right. That'll do it for this show. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchner, I'm John Serenitas. We'll talk to you the rest of the week. As I said, you're going to see plenty of us. Until then, peace. See ya.